Excellent job singing this morning. Excellent job leading Paul. Paul always has a smile on his face. Probably not all the time, but at least whenever I'm around him, he has a smile on his face. It's a reflection of the joy in his heart. And I think maybe the reason why that smile was a little bit bigger this morning is because he's got family here this morning. And so I know that they are glad to be here uh, supporting him and rejoicing and worshiping with us. It's a joy and a privilege to worship together. Are you glad that you're here this morning? If so, say amen. Amen. Well, I hope you are because uh, we have a lot to cover this morning. I say that probably seven out of eight Sundays, but uh, I really mean that. We, try, we, we actually tackled all Ten Commandments last week, and uh, it must have been the Sunday to go through the Ten Commandments because Cindy Fry told me she was in Arkansas with family, and she said, we, we went to a great small little church. It reminded me a lot of Haven. The pastor, he reminded me a lot of you, and he preached on the Ten Commandments. And he only went through the first two commandments, but it just remind, reminded me a lot of Haven. I said, that's funny, because I preached on the Ten Commandments last week, and it took me a long time to get through the first two. In fact, probably two-thirds of the sermon was on the first two. So I figured, if I can go through all Ten Commandments in a week, we can tackle ten chapters this week. So we're going to go from ten commandments to ten chapters. Well, stand with me, if you will, as we honor the reading and preaching of God's holy word. We're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 21 through 31, but we're going to be reading Exodus 24 this morning and little excerpts here and there from each of the chapters. This is Exodus 24, verses 1 through 8. This is a key chapter, as I mentioned, chapters 19 through 24 really kind of encapsulate the bookends of the covenant, the covenant that was given to Moses. So this is Exodus 24. So then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, The blood of the covenant that the Lord has spoken with you in accordance with all these words. Amen. You may be seated. Let us pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that we can approach your throne of grace by the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. So Father, we have just sung corporately, collectively as a church family, 
And Lord, I pray that those songs will be a reflection of our beliefs. And Father, I pray that as we sing to you, as we look to you, as we worship you, that we will recognize that you alone are the Lord God. You have given us laws not to punish us, but to free us, to free us from our own wicked ways and our own flesh. So you have given us laws to free us, laws so that we might obey you. And ultimately, the laws that you have given us are given so that we might worship you. So Father, I pray, Lord, that you will teach us how to worship you. Lord, some of the chapters that we go over this morning might not be familiar to us. So Lord, I pray that you will open our eyes to see truth. And Lord, we know that truth will set us free because truth is ultimately found in your son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, teach us your ways. And Lord, I pray that we will honor you and give you all the honor and all the glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, this past week was a long week, a good week, but in some ways uh, a uh, surprising week. This past week we found out the news that Billy Graham had passed away at the age of 99, almost made it to 100. And we mourn, obviously, with the Graham family, but we also rejoice that he is now with his Maker. He is now with his Redeemer. Billy Graham, as you know, has taught in many places, various places across the world, many nations. But he also has answered various questions, questions from skeptics, questions from critics. And one time in particular, I was reading lots of articles, as I'm sure you were this past week, seeing lots of videos. And this one article talked about a time when Billy Graham was questioned and the the critic said, Why do we need to obey the Ten Commandments because they were written so long ago? That was the question that was posed to the Reverend Billy Graham. Graham eloquently responded by saying, I suspect that your real problem with the Ten Commandments or any other moral law in the Bible is that you simply want to run your own life apart from God. But is that wise? God made you. He knows what is best for you. Why deceive yourself by thinking you're wiser than God? The first commandment declares you shall have no other gods before me. Face honestly your need for God's forgiveness and wisdom. And then by faith, as Billy Graham would often say, commit your life to Christ. Jesus' command for us is clear. Come, follow me. So as we looked at last week, the Ten Commandments are a tutor, are a teacher that's pointing us to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ tells us to follow Him because He is the way, the truth, and the life. So as we move on from the Ten Commandments this morning, as we look at these other laws, I don't want us to see these laws in isolation. I don't want us to see these laws as a way of of, uh, putting us down or keeping us from something. But these laws, just like speed limits, I try to convince myself, are for my good. You know, they're for my good. So these laws teach us not only to obey, but to worship. God gave ten commandments or ten words to Moses and to the people of Israel so that they might know God, worship God, and obey Him as the only true God. This is what we see in the book of Exodus. And at the end of the chapter, Moses makes it clear at the end of chapter 20, look with me if you will, at the end of chapter 20, Moses makes it clear who has spoken? 
You know, if I were Moses, I, I'm sure I would be trembling as to what are they going to think of me? What are they going to think of these rules? And Moses says, this is not me. This is the Lord God who has spoken. God has spoken to Israel and he has spoken to you. He has spoken so that we might have a healthy fear of him. If you're following along, that's another blank. He has spoken so that we might have a healthy fear of him. When I say a healthy fear of him, this is not um, a terrorizing fear, but this is an awe. This is a reverence of who God is. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is also the beginning of worship. My son Stephen was trying to guess the different blanks this morning. I gave him a preview and he said, well, is it the beginning of knowledge? I said, well, that's true. You could put that there as well. But it's also the beginning of worship, the fear of the Lord. We worship God for many reasons, but we worship God because we are not God. We worship God because we are not God. God has spoken so we might fear him. God has spoken so that we might obey him. Look with me at um, Exodus 20, verse 20. Before we get even into chapter 21. Exodus 20, verse 20. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, and that you may not sin. So a great encapsulating verse that God has given these words to us so that we might have a healthy fear of him and so that we might obey him as God. God gives us these words to teach us for who he is. Who is God? We could we could put lots of things in the blank there, but particularly here, he is holy. God is holy. He gives us these words to worship him for who he is. He alone is the Lord God. This is what we saw early in the Exodus as as uh, God told Pharaoh and the Egyptians there, who alone was doing these signs and wonders, they were done so that all might see he alone is the Lord God. In Exodus 21, we're going to go through these chapters quickly, we learn about laws, laws that are given for society in general. Chapter 21, verse 23, gives us a little indication of the laws. It says, if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So these laws were given to regulate society. They were given to help them understand how to live with one another. And as often as Jesus would do, he would interpret the law for us. In Matthew chapter 5, we see, again, Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, this is his way of amplifying the law. This is, You've heard this from the law. And because, again, they knew the law much better than we did. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So Jesus is teaching us here not to seek retaliation, but our actions are to be a reflection of what? Our love. Our love for God and our love for one another. I love the verses that uh, Brother Tim read earlier. Again, that we should be known for our love for one another. So in here in chapter 21, there's laws laid down that teach us about the rules, the norms of 
the of the Israelites amongst society. They outline what to do when injustices are occurred. And then in chapter 22, it continues to talk about social justice. From property to personhood to false accusations, many things are are dealt with, many topics, even animals, exploitation, and resting on the Sabbath in chapter 23. Chapter 23, verse 12 says, Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. I was jokingly speaking with someone last week and said, as I was going through the Ten Commandments, I was glad that I didn't have a lot of time because when it got to um, observing the Sabbath, one that I don't do well as far as resting, I was able to just gloss past it quickly. Well, we don't need to gloss past these rules, these commands for us. We're going to talk more about what it means for us to observe and to obey the Sabbath next week. Our rest is ultimately in Christ. So here, these laws remind us not only of God's holiness, but they refresh the people as they see God's faithfulness. They see God's faithfulness in chapters 22 and 23. And at the end of chapter 23, Moses tells the people again of God's promise for them. God promised many things for the Israelites. In particular, he promised what? He promised them a land. He said, I'm going to give you a land. That land was Canaan, and he said he's going to remove people. This isn't because they didn't pay rent, but he said he's going to remove people. In particular, he's removing the Amorites, the Hittites, the Penizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Say that six times fast. But he's going to remove all these people. Why? Why is he removing all these people? Because of who they are worshiping. Because of the idols that they are treasuring. That These are a pagan people, and these people cannot coexist with God's people, and so they are going to be removed because they are worshiping false gods. And a warning is given to Israel, a warning to not bow down to them, to not bow down to them and serve their gods. Why? Because their gods are worthless. We can't compare. Their gods can't do anything that the Lord God can do. So their gods cannot compare with what God has done. So he warns them, do not bow down to their gods. So God would drive these peoples out of the land sovereignly and powerfully, just like he dealt with Pharaoh and the Egyptians. God tells the children of Israel to not make a covenant with their gods. Don't make a deal with their gods. Don't join yourself with their gods because their gods would be a snare to you. What does this mean that their gods would be a snare to you? Well, it means that they would seek to trap them, would seek to trip them up, and ultimately distract them from their purpose. What is the Israelites' purpose? To worship God, and particularly to glorify God. That is our purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God. Many people don't know their purpose even today. Do you? As followers of Christ, we should know our purpose is to glorify our God, to glorify Christ, to follow the Spirit, and, we sometimes forget the second part there, to enjoy Him forever. Christianity shouldn't be something that we dread to do, or to, to follow Christ shouldn't be a burden, but it should produce joy in our heart. Again, this is one of the reasons why I love that Paul is here. 
Again, he's smiling, and it's not a fake smile. It's a smile because there's joy in his heart. There's joy because he loves God. We should seek to know God, worship God, glorify God, and enjoy him forever. Next is 24, the chapter that we began with. This is a key chapter in the storyline here. The covenant is confirmed. God calls Moses, the leaders up on the mountain. God tells Moses, I'm going to speak to you alone. You're going to speak on behalf of the people. He relays the law to the people. He tells them the laws, the rules, and the stipulations. The people respond. I love the words that they say, but I love how it says they respond with one voice. This unity there. They respond with one voice. And what do they say? Everything that the Lord has said we will do. Again, obedience is a big part of this section, of this chapter, and of the covenant. They say, we will do. So Moses then writes down everything the Lord has commanded and has become the book of the covenant. Moses writes these words down, and the people are ready to obey the words. The words are confirmed through a special sacrifice that seals the covenant. What what seals the covenant? I know I'm asking lots of questions here, and I know there's a lot on the outline, but what seals the covenant? Blood. The covenant is sealed with blood. Look again, I know we already read this, verses 5 through 8 of Exodus 24. In verse 8 it says, Moses took the blood and threw it on the people. I don't know about you, that just kind of sounds strange. But he threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So Moses isn't having a mental breakdown. Moses knows exactly what he's doing. And he's throwing the blood and he's confirming the covenant with blood because the blood is important. I know I've spoken with uh, different people at the church and we live in a culture where we want to do away with uh, things like this. We want to do away with blood. But blood is important. Blood seals the covenant. The blood on the altar symbolizes God's forgiveness and His acceptance of the offering. The blood on the people points to an oath that binds them in obedience. Again, the the covenant is confirmed and they have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to obey the Lord. So in a nutshell, the blood points to forgiveness and obedience, two key aspects of the gospel. Again, this is the words of the Lord. Moving ahead quickly, in chapter 25, we read of the offerings that are given to the Lord God. These offerings are to be from the heart, but they are also to honor the Lord. We're not to cheat God. Again, He's the one who's given us everything anyway, so we're not to cheat God. And then in Exodus 25, verse 8, we read what the people are to do. Look with me in 25, verse 8. It says, let them make me a sanctuary. What's the purpose of the sanctuary? Again, this is an open book test. It's right there. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Again, the purpose is to be with God, to worship God. And He is there. So again, the sanctuary, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, those are all synonymous terms. I, I know for me growing up, um, that really confused me. I'm like, what are we talking about here? Is this the tent of meeting? Is the tabernacle? Is the sanctuary? All similar things here. And they all talk about, again, God's holiness, 
and that God was going to dwell with his people. Through this chapter in 25, we, we see the ark mentioned, this valuable chest of wood that would contain the testimony. The testimony is the two tablets that out, outline the Ten Commandments, the basic stipulations of the covenant. And then in 26, let's move on to chapter 26, we, just, we see the tabernacle and the details that are involved in building it. And I want to point out one verse in chapter 26, verse 33, kind of encapsulates the whole chapter. 26, verse 33, it says, You shall hang, you shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil and the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy. There's two things we that are clear in chapter 26 and throughout the book of Exodus. One, God is holy. Two, man is sinful. Both of these things are present here in this verse. God is holy and man is sinful. In chapter 27, again, we see more, more items, the altar, the court of the tabernacle, the oil for the lamp. All of these things are to be purified and set apart for what God would use. And the Israelites were constructing things and consecrating items again as they worship a holy God. Chapter 28, we continue the theme of holiness through the conversation of the priest's garments, his clothing. There's a uh, Messianic Jew that Sheena and I know doesn't live long from uh, far from here, and he's got a replication of the uh, garments that a high priest would wear. And I forgot. And he told me, when, at any time you want to borrow any of the things that I have, he's been to Israel numerous, numerous times. He said, "Just let me know." Well, I thought about contacting him, but it was ten o'clock last night. So um, I will contact him and have him bring some of those items. But it's amazing some of the uh, things that he has. And it kind of gives us, again, a visual picture of what we see here in chapter 28. The clothes that were for the high priest were to be picked out with precision. They were to be sewn with skill. Look with me in chapter 28, verse 3. In chapter 28, verse 3, it says, You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill that they make make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. So again, the clothes that the priests wore were to be sewn with precision. And then, what is the priest to do? What is the high priest to do? Skip down with me to verse 30. Chapter 28, verse 30. We see that the high priest is to stand before the people. It says, In the breastpiece of judgment you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart, when he goes in before the Lord, thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. So again, the high priest has a specific job to stand before the people. Then in chapter uh, 28, verse 35, we, we see a bell. We didn't read all of this, but there's a bell that is tied to the high priest as he approaches God in the most holy place. The priest would wear this um, for numerous reasons, but one out of a sign of respect. This could one commentator said these bells could possibly be analogous to knocking before entering as a sign of respect. The priests were showing respect, reverence, and recognized God as the only 
God who is holy. Again, He is the only God who is holy. Moving on on quickly, chapter 29, we read that the high priests are not only dressed carefully, but they are to be ordained and prepared for special service. Chapter 29, verses 44 and 45, we see their special service. It says, I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar, Aaron also and his sons. I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. So again, God is calling out these priests to serve in a special way before Him. For Israel, these priests had a huge responsibility as they represented the people. For us, as believers in Christ, our hopes are tied to who? Our hopes are tied to the perfect high priest, Jesus Christ, who intercedes for us. That's the blank that's easy to fill out. Jesus Christ, there you go. So our hopes are tied to Jesus. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 7. Our great high priest who intercedes on our behalf. Here, Hebrews 7, it says, The former priests, we just read about them, were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently. Who is the he here? Jesus. Because he continues forever. Verse 25. Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. So the high priest that we have still lives. He still intercedes on behalf of His people. I thought of uh, the great hymn, Before the Throne of God, by Charity Lees Bancroft. Listen to to this uh, hymn as it begins. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. This is the high priest that we have. This is the high priest that we serve. In chapter 30, again, we read of God's holiness through the construction and regulation of taxes, the tent of meeting, and the table that's used for worship in the tabernacle. Look with me at chapter 30, verse 37. In verse 37 it says, The incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. So again, the theme of holiness of God throughout these chapters. The last chapter we're going to look at this morning, chapter 31, we go, we move from the holiness of God but also to see the Spirit of God. Chapter 31, the first 11 verses, we see the Spirit of God at work through two men in particularly. I'm probably going to mispronounce their names, but Bezalel, chapter 31, verse 2. And then later on, we see a man named Aholiab. These men are filled with the Spirit of God to accomplish the plans of God. We see the holiness of God in in chapters 21 through 30, and now we see the Spirit of God clearly, particularly through these two men, Bezalel and Oholiab, as they accomplish the plans of God. These are skilled craftsmen. And the, the Spirit of God enables them and guides them 
to use their craft, to use their ability, to use their artistic designs to glorify God. This is all part of God's design. The Spirit of God enabled them, but it also enables you, enables us to serve God's people for God's glory. So as we look at this, these first 11 verses, again, God is empowering these people, guiding these people by His Spirit to accomplish His plans. I want to read a quote from Tony Morita. Tony Morita talks about a parallel here from chapter 31 and creation in Genesis 1 and 2. Morita says, there's a parallel here to the creation story that should not be overlooked. Just as God did His work in creation by the Spirit, so He did His work in the tabernacle, this little Eden, by the Spirit. God chose Bezalel from Judah and Aholiab from Dan as His craftsmen. Their skill did not originate in themselves, but from God. So again, God had chosen them just as He has chosen us to glorify Him. We are given skills, we are given talents to glorify God. So as you see all these laws being laid out, and I know we went through this extremely quickly, but as you see all these laws being laid out, they are given so that we might obey, they are given so that we might worship God, and we see that we are part of God's plans, that God has given us gifts. He has given you a gift. He has given you a talent, and we're not to waste those gifts. We're supposed to use our gifts to glorify God. So let me ask you this morning, how are you using your gifts to glorify God? God has, as I've said many times before, God has not called us as an individual. He has called us as a body, as a church family, to be a body. And we have many members, many parts, arms, legs, the esophagus, many other parts, all called together to worship God. Let us pray. Gracious Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you have revealed your laws to us so that we might obey you. Lord, I pray that you will teach us how to use our gifts. Father, sometimes we might think we don't have a gift. Sometimes we might over-exaggerate our gifts. Lord, I pray that you will use us as your people to honor you and to glorify you. Lord, you're doing many things through the book of Exodus, and we just saw some of them this morning. And Father, I pray that you will um, teach us that we have a great high priest, your son Jesus Christ, the perfect mediator, the perfect intercessor, who pleads for us, who covers us by his blood. And Father, we, even as the priesthood of believers, have an opportunity to pray for one another. So Lord, teach us, Father, to worship you through prayer. Lord, I pray, Father, for this church family. Lord, even as we come together each Sunday, remind us that you have called us together, not to live in isolation, but to be a body, a body of believers. So Father, I thank you for this time together. And Lord, I pray that you will teach us to worship you in spirit and in truth. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.